morning, everyone. Good to see everyone. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote two letters to his co-worker, a young man called Timothy. And our reading this morning is taken from the first of those letters, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, reading verses 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 16. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, Who will give you property of your own? 
No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. <clears throat> it's great to see you. Uh, if you don't know me, if you're visiting, uh, my name's Cliff. I'm the senior minister here and I'd love to have a chat with you later on. I've just come back from two weeks away and um, just wanted to um, just give thanks to God that everyone's still here. <laughs> <laughs> now, I heard that Jimmy and Camille uh, and, and Maddie have been doing a great job holding things together and um, I am so pleased to be back with my family. It's terrific. So let me pray as we open God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you, Lord, that you will speak to us this morning if we will give you our attention. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, we might put into practice the things that you bring up in our minds today so that we can uh, live for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen. <clears throat> I had a friend when I was in high school who had an uncle and family who lived in what was uh, called Rhodesia um, back in the, the late 60s and uh, it's now modern day Zimbabwe. And not only did... Um, well, it began with the, the Rhodesians actually separating from, from uh, England and setting up their own constitution. And, and this friend, uh, her uncle, saw that things weren't going to go very well, so he devised a plan each year to send as much money as he could out of the country and uh, to Canada, where he had a relative, and there was a limit to what you could um, send. But the day finally came when it was not safe enough for the family to stay in uh, Rhodesia. So they packed their bags as if they were going on a holiday and they went to the airport and they hopped on a plane and they flew to Canada. Everything they had, they left behind. Their house, their furniture, their memorabilia, all of those things, their car, everything. They left it all behind. But then what they got, when they got to Canada, they were able to live a life because of the decision of the, the dad to actually send some money on ahead. Now, why do I tell that story? Well, if you understand that story, then you're fairly close to understanding uh, the, the story that Jesus told his disciples. Uh, this parable or hypothetical situation which many people struggle with, they think, you know, is Jesus commending the dishonesty of that manager? How can that be? Well, let me uh, say that as we begin this series, this, uh, well, as we began last week, the series on living is, living is giving, this morning we want to look at the idea of God's gift as a tool, God's gift as a tool in our hands, God's gift as we use what he's given us for his glory. So Jesus puts the, the challenge 
At the end of his story, in verse 9 of um, Luke 13, if you're following along, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, what does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? Well, as we try and work out what the story means, we really need to look at the cultural background and uh, that will help us at least to, to see what the situation is so we can maybe better interpret Jesus' words. So in um, the ancient Near East, in Jesus' day, most of the land was owned by uh, rich landowners and they would employ a manager who would do just that, manage their property and there would be um, some of the tenants who grew, who had a vineyard, who grew grapes, there would be some um, who grew olives, there'd be others who grazed herds or whatever it was, but all of these people who were tenants on the land had to pay at harvest time a certain amount of their produce to the landowner. And this was the work of the manager to negotiate that arrangement and to work out. And it wasn't unusual for uh, a, a generous landowner, if the, if the um, harvest had not been that good, to tell his manager to give uh, a discount, to write down uh, a lesser amount. And I'm interested to see, Judy, which version you read because yours... Uh, wrote down my amount, mine said 950 and yours said 900, so it was already <laughs> being written down. So, um, but at the, you know, at the harvest time, that was what was owed and the manager was supposed to um, negotiate that, sort that all out as he worked for his master. So Jesus tells the story. There's a certain rich man who we assume is, this, is a landowner whose manager accuses him of wasting his possessions. Uh, He's accusing the um, manager of ripping him off. So he called him in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. In other words, you have got the sack. You have been put off. I want you to give me all of the detail, you know, all of the paperwork, all of the um, arrangements that you've got and, and give it to me and then you're fired. Now, let's notice a couple of important things here. The first thing that we notice about the rich man is that he actually gives the manager a chance to put things together and then to leave um, graciously. He doesn't have him arrested and thrown into jail. He doesn't come along and clear up everything off his desk that day and say you've got to be out by 10 o'clock or midday. He is generous. That's the first thing we notice. The second thing we notice is that the manager doesn't say a word. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't uh, say sorry. He is silent. And um, these things are important as we move through the story. But we don't hear what he says to the master, but we do get an insight into what he's thinking. We hear what is going on in his mind 
in verse 3. The manager says to himself, I know what I... Sorry, what shall I do now? My master is taking my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. My father used to say to me, I was too light for heavy work and too heavy for light work. (laughs) And that's what this guy is kind of saying. There's nothing that he can do. How is he going to uh, survive? And then he says, aha, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So that's his motive for what he's going to do. How does he get himself in the good books with people so that they might welcome him into their house um, and maybe even offer him another position? Well, he gambled on his master's generosity and he quickly went to the tenants and said to them before they'd heard that he had actually been fired, let's see your agreement, your contract. What does it say? 950 barrels of oil, quickly let's change it right down 400 or 450 or whatever it is. And he got the next one in with his um, bushels of wheat. What have you got on your agreement? A thousand bushels of wheat, write, write it down to 800. So he got all of the tenants and he gave them a discount. Now it's not harvest time yet. What are the tenants thinking? Gee, The landowner is a great guy. He's giving us a discount even right now. So you see how this um, manager is called shrewd because he's actually done this and he's given the master a good name. He's given the master a good name. So... When the the landowner finds out about this, he's got two possible courses of action. The first course of action is that he could arrest the manager and say, you've, you know, I'm so annoyed with you, I gave you extra chance, look what you've done, you've ripped me off even further and have him thrown into jail and then go down, go and call all of the tenants together and say, sorry, this guy did this without my authority and you're back to your... First contract, your first agreement, this is what you owe. Now, that would be fair and just, wouldn't it? If he did that, that would be fair and just. But who would the tenants blame for their change of circumstances? Most likely the landowner, because they'd already got their mind into this saving, this extra that they were going to get. And particularly in uh, Jesus' day, where the culture was built on reputation, not shame, then the wealthy landowner would have thought very carefully about the pros and cons of doing that. The other option he had was just to let it stand, to let those um, tenants get a discount this year. And then... He would, uh, yes, in his act of generosity, he was, he was losing, but he would gain in reputation and uh, gain in respect in the eyes of his tenants and also in the eyes of the community. So the manager is playing on the fact that the master has already shown his generosity by not having him arrested straight on the spot. 
and he's playing on that, that generosity that the master will do the second, that he will uh, not want to embarrass himself, that he will leave those discounts in place and um, that he now, the, the manager, will be the hero and all these people who saved money or saved produce, they will welcome him into their houses because he's such a good guy, even though he's a dishonest thief. You see, so he's gambled with his master's generosity and he has actually uh, achieved his purpose. So the master's response, we don't actually, we don't actually hear any more of the story. It's a bit like the parable Jesus told before in, chap in uh, chapter 15 of the prodigal son where we don't actually hear the re resolution of the parable. Will the, will the older brother come and be reconciled or will he not? It's left hanging. And here we don't know what happened to this manager, you know, um, but the point of the parable is in some way Christians and the disciples of Jesus are supposed to be like this manager, not in his, um, in his thieving and his dishonesty, but in his shrewdness. In his shrewdness. The master condemned, verse 8, sorry, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. <clears throat> Not commended for his dishonesty, but his shrewdness, his, uh, we could put that word in, his cunning, his worldly wisdom, his street smarts, however you wanted to put it. He is commended for his sense of self-preservation. He's commended for summing up the situation and understanding that his only hope is to throw himself on the mercy of the landowner and in the end it actually works out. So his cunning and uh, self-preservation has paid off. And Jesus says sinners need to be that same kind of cunning. Wise enough to recognise their sin, wise enough to trust in the generosity of the master and to act in a way that puts uh, their future in his hands. So that is why Jesus commends this man. That's the connection there. He praises him for having wisdom, but it's not the same. That word wisdom is not the same as the kind of normal. Spirit, scriptural word for wisdom it's, it's the word for street smart and cunning it's not like the wisdom of Proverbs okay so he has been wise in that way and in, in, in a sense that is what Jesus is challenging his people to do he says are we the people of the light the followers of Jesus shrewd enough to throw everything that we have into our trust in God are we shrewd enough to invest our money to promote the name of Jesus? 
to bring honour to the master. He says, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. God's gift to us, we're to use it as a tool. The, The wealth that we have, the resources that we have, God's given them to us to use in our hand as a tool. And he says, Christians are not as shrewd as worldly people in this regard. Worldly people use their money to promote themselves, don't they? We live in a culture where that is what consumerism is all about. So you use your money to make yourself look good in the eyes of other people, to make yourself feel good as you buy things for your own pleasure. You use your money to make yourself look important as a, uh, in, a, in the sense of being powerful or having authority. That's our world. Money is used as a tool in our, in our hands of the people of our society to promote themselves. And they get what they spend their money on. People are impressed when you have the latest gadget or whatever it is. You see... Jesus is saying that's the way the world operates and it operated the same in Jesus' day as it does in our day. Are Christians shrewd enough to see that and rather than using their money to promote themselves, use their money to promote God's kingdom? That's what he means when he says that you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. How can we use our money to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Um, The first reading that we had for us from uh, 1 Timothy 6 says, you brought nothing into this world, you can take nothing out of this world. Can we send stuff ahead? You can't send money ahead, but who are these friends who will welcome us into eternal dwellings? I'll tell you who they are. These are the people who we will meet when we stand before God. They are the believers from India who've become Christians through the India Inland Mission of which we've been supporting for 40 years or more. They will be Cambodians, Indonesians, Nepalis and other nationalities of our link missionaries who have served with CMS, who we partnered with, and who we probably don't even know, or we wouldn't know. They are the high school students who over the last 30 or so years have become Christians through the local high schools because of the Anchor RE program that we support. This is your compassion child, your sponsor child. This is the person who will receive the shoeboxes at the back of the church, who will receive a Christian uh, encouragement and a story of the gospel with their present that shows that Christians care for them. These will be the people who receive Bibles because you've given money to the Bible Society or to other organisations to deliver scriptures. These will be the people uh, who have had their faith strengthened through persecution 
who we have supported through the work of Open Doors or other agencies. You see, there are so, so many uh, who we will not even know the faces of. But close to the home, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. As you look around, those who we have encouraged in their Christian faith. Isn't that an amazing thought? That there is a, a whole bunch of people who we're going to meet in heaven when God finally puts all the threads together. You know how we live in Christian life and there's little threads and loose ends and we don't really know what happened and you know we've, we've done this, we've, we've done that. We will hear all those connections and we will be welcomed by those whom we have had a part in encouraging. This is the vision of the shrewd Christian. To take the opportunity, while we have the opportunity, to use God's gift as a tool to extend his kingdom, to support gospel ministry, to see men and women and boys and girls come to know and love Jesus Christ. We are a very generous church. And I want to recognise that because this is a generous church and we're going to have a great joy, aren't we, when we meet people from, uh, from Barwon in heaven and they'll tell us about the dog biscuits. <laughs> there are so many things, aren't there? But we are a generous church. Are we receiving uh, the fullness of God's blessing, though, of, of actually knowing that we are doing this because we want to be wise as Christians. We're doing this for God's kingdom. Yes, we're meeting a need, but the reason that we're meeting a need, many people have given to the drought appeal and that's terrific. But Christians give to the drought appeal with a, with a different angle, with the wisdom that comes from, um, from the spiritual life that we have. So to finish this off, Jesus says that this is a, ch is a challenge and he points that out to us. It is a challenge for us, isn't it? We know in our hearts that we have a reluctance sometimes to part with our money for, for the work of God's kingdom. And we all struggle with that and we need to be honest about that. Uh, we want to break free from different entanglements that we have that come with our turf because we live in this consumerist society all of those things so jesus says it is possible for us to make ground here we we can work gradually at, at being more and more generous in using what god's given us as a tool he warns us he says in verse 10 to 12 whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much you see spiritually we don't want to miss out on the much because we haven't been trustworthy in the little. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So Jesus is reorienting our focus of the, on the things that we have, that they are given by God in trust for us to use for his glory. And he calls us to do that. And he finishes by saying, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, 
or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We want to be entrusted, don't we, with true riches, with spiritual riches. We want to have the joy of seeing God's kingdom grow and of being a part of that. We want to think of the amazing conversations that we might have in heaven with people who we've never seen, but because of our position, we've been able to give to support them and to help them to know Jesus Christ. So are we up for the task of using God's resources, God's money as a tool in our hand to promote his kingdom? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have given to us in terms of our worldly possessions. And Lord, we recognise with, uh, with great gifts comes great responsibility. And Lord, please help us as we each work out in our own hearts before you how we will use the, the money and the resources that you've given to us. Lord, help us to break free from the, the bonds of our consumer society, to be generous, to be wise and shrewd in all that we do. And Lord, help us to share in the joy of seeing the fruit of our giving as your kingdom grows both here in our church, in our suburb and to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be a part of all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.